0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast.
0: One of the constants over the last week was watching the apocalyptic fire that took place on Maui, and particularly as it affected the historic town of Lahaina. And it was, it was absolutely terrifying to watch the developments. Now, we've certainly had and continue to have our issues with wildfires in this country. But I also saw raw helicopter footage of uh, Lahaina last night. And it's just utter, total destruction. Had an opportunity last evening to speak uh, with Adam Lightplay. He's a uh, a producer at Akaku Community Media. I'm sorry, Akaku Community Media. That's A-K-A-K-U dot org. That's where you'll find them, A-K-A-K-U. And Adam joins us from Maui today. Adam, thank you so much for the time. Uh, You you wake up this morning in your own bed. So many in, in Maui are not, and you're a native Maui, tell us about that a little bit. Tell us about yourself and and, and about your home, your home island.
2: Okay. Uh, Thank you. I'm glad glad I could be here and share. Um, Maui uh, was my first home. We moved here as kids. And uh, aside from being a beautiful island, it's it's my hometown, so it's in my heart. And I was away for several decades, but managed to find my way back over here a year or so ago and then up into the mountains a few months ago. Um it's an interesting island because it's two mountains that uh, with a big central valley in the middle. So that makes us a little different than the other islands. But all of the islands get trade winds from one side. So one side of the island is going to be moist and jungle and tropical. And the other side is more arid and desert. And that's where the beaches are. That's where the tourists love, And that's where, sadly, Lahaina was.
0: It's interesting that you say Lahaina was, because when you and I spoke last <laughs> night, that's what you told me. Uh, it's essentially gone. And I looked at the helicopter footage, which uh, was filmed on Thursday, and the destruction is absolutely devastating.
2: Yeah, I can't believe I just said that. But that, uh, you know, that section for a few miles there just, uh, yeah, it just got wiped off the map. And, yeah, it looked like a war zone or people were even comparing it to
0: Hiroshima or something. Do, do you know uh, is it known how the fire began? We know that the, uh, the hurricane winds certainly fanned the flames tremendously, but is it, is it certain that it began with the wind knocking down hydropoles or is there still some uncertainty?
2: Um, I haven't really heard much about that, and so a lot of my information I'm going to be giving you is second hand or, or my opinion. But yeah, I wish I wish I'd heard more about that. I haven't haven't even heard them address that. But uh, you know, it was gusts up to 60 or 80 miles an hour, and we're we our island structure is wonderful. That usually the hurricanes kind of like you know they sense a mountain and they go south of us or north of us, and yeah, you know, every 20 years or so. Maybe we get hit by one, but it's wind and rain at the same time. And this was just so strange because it was hot and dry, but then we had gusts up to 80 miles an hour. So things were whipping around. So it wouldn't be surprising that as the ele- you know, electric wires were being blown down all over the place, that some of them would catch fire. And then you just got a blowtorch situation because uh, you just got that wind blowing through and, uh, and poof, you know, just so fast.
0: Yeah, I uh, I heard reports about people who were stuck in traffic in Lahaina couldn't get going and the fire was behind them and gaining on them. And then I heard reports about the fire jumping from one street to another and then jumping back and being so intense that boats that people hoped to use to get away in the harbor um essentially exploded or or went on fire very, very quickly. Can you can you give us a little bit more information on how the fire did behave?
2: Um, well, from from what I hear, I mean that that you know that's a pretty good description. Um, somebody had a shot of one building. I heard of one video where the fire moved out a block in fifteen seconds or something from one end to the other. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk about early warning and. Uh, we have sirens that are designed for, you know, tsunamis more likely, uh, tidal waves coming in and warnings like that. And uh, so the power, I think, was already out, uh, and the uh, the cell towers were already out. So people were kind of in a communication vacuum. So people are jumping on the fact that the sirens didn't go off. And in, in my personal opinion, yeah, I mean, we should look into that. But that might have given people maybe, you know, a couple more minutes warning, it wouldn't it? It wouldn't change the fact that the city just got raised i mean once it started burning uh it's uh it's a historic town and there was uh you know the the desire and uh, i think there were preservation committees that you know your buildings had to look like they'd originally been built in the 1800s it looked kind of like a western town because that was when it was first uh settled by us white people and um it uh, so it, it looked like a western. Dad. So it was, it was beautiful, airy, and wooden, and and nice. But uh, unfortunately, it was a tinderbox when this when this blowtorch came through.
0: Yeah, you said uh, a few minutes ago that it was like Hiroshima when you look at the film you were producing during all of this. As you're producing the the segments and you're seeing the video come in, and and you live in uh, Maui, and it's it's. I mean, you said to me it's like paradise. It's where you really feel privileged to live. It must have been personally a, a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking to see what you saw.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm a less emotional than some people. So I just kind of disconnect and, and give the news, but people around me were, you know, in tears and, uh, you know, and we'd get a new piece of footage. Hey, so-and-so's got this footage and we'd up cause we, we normally do like a 20 minute afternoon news show and, uh, and, but the last three days, we were on the air four or five hours live. Just you know, this just handed to me, and I was on the teleprompter typing up the latest info from the county and warnings and road closures. And then we oh, we got another piece of footage. We got another piece of footage, and some of the, some of them would land, and we throw them on the air. And all of us in the studio would just our jaws would drop dropping. Go, oh my god, yeah. oh geez, you know, especially that first helicopter flyover they did the next day. And then I think a civil defense guy did some drone footage, which is just, you know, it's almost artistic like a movie. It's like beautiful and horrible at the same time. Yeah, the only is. thing standing is the cement walls, but everything else that's wooden is just gone. And all the burnt-out cars. So. Yeah, people being trapped. I can't imagine what what that was like in that situation.
0: And we don't likely know what all the casualty numbers are yet.
2: No, no, I think we're up to about 80 or so officially, but I mean, they were, they were kind of dropping hints, uh, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, we can't go in there until we clear out, you know, (laughs) they don't complete the sentence or, uh, whatever. But, you know, I heard they had cadaver dogs in yesterday, so, you know, there are probably a lot of people that were sheltering or hiding, whatever. So that's why they have a curfew on the town and, uh. You know, just stay out of the danger, you know, the the bad areas. It's toxic, it's burned, it's crumbling. And they got to go in there first thing and, you know, get out anybody. So it'll probably go up to, I don't know. I mean, probably at least a few hundred. Hopefully not anything more horrible than that. But, uh, uh, yeah, there's there's some people to be found there. Mm -hmm.
0: One of the things that you said when we spoke last night, And again, I appreciate you getting up early to talk to me and talk to my listeners across Canada today. And uh, we're speaking with Adam Lightplay from akaku.org, the channel 53 on Maui. Um, You said, though, one particularly remarkable, and it is worth remarking on, fact is how people stood with one another, backed one another up, were there to help each other.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always felt delighted to be on Maui. You know, some people are you know expecting the apocalypse, or, you know, civilization to crumble, and I've always thought if it did, this is where I'd want to be on this little pocket of people. And I, I lived on the Big Island. We had some uh, some lava flows that took out some neighborhoods and some sections back in twenty eighteen, and you know, we're like any community. People, you know, you know, get cranky with each other, but. When, when, things, when the chips are down, the people just come together, and it's just like, what do you need? So, you know, a lot of the residents on Lahaina site fortunately had relatives over on the other parts of the island, and they're staying with them, but the shelters opened up, and, and the stuff just flows. It's like, what do you need? And so, you know, a big part of our news was here's the donation site. Here's what we need, water, food, baby supplies, drop them off here. And then other people show up to distribute, so the community just comes together. It's like, okay, this is what we're doing this week. We're taking care of each other. And I even heard of some of the shelters saying, uh, "You know, you know, we're good. We don't need any more volunteers. <laughs> thank you. But you know, we don't know the you know we we got all the volunteers we can handle to distribute this stuff. So there's just a giant influx of food and water at several different uh, central locations, and you know where people can drive through and pick up what they need you know no big vetting process no are you really destitute. it's like hey you need something take it you got something leave it for some other people thank you so that's uh you yeah, know that's the humanity and i i hope that's the takeaway and the beauty uh you know uh, out of all this uh tragedy
0: yeah, it's the human spirit. Uh, sometimes when things are at their worst, the human spirit is at its best, and that I'm sure is what you're seeing on Maui. Adam, thank you so much. I know your days have been extremely long, and I appreciate you getting up. You you intended to sleep longer, but uh, you volunteered to come on the air with us, so thank you again.
2: Okay, my my pleasure. Happy to share. And, uh, you know, most of the island's safe and sound, and some people are going through some serious stuff, but... Uh Thanks for checking
0: in. His children know him in French, Espanol, and English as Papa. And I know him as a guy who loves me for who I am, a Canadian who came to call Canada home, and his wife. So that's the voice of um, the wife of Pierre Paulie, Anaïda, or Anaïda, I'm not sure quite how to pronounce it, I did have uh, an occasion f- a couple of years ago, or maybe uh, maybe last year, to communicate uh, with Mr. Poliev's wife. We were having a little trouble getting through to him for an interview, and I had her email address. And she replied to me in a matter of hours. And very quickly after that, I received a call from the Conservative Party uh, saying, Yeah, sure, absolutely, we'll have him on your show. Um, charming, Charming person. And I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous assist to Pierre Polyev, who does have the image of, you know, as uh, the Global News story, globalnews.ca, suggests that uh, Polyev has the image of the elbows-extended guy in politics. The Global News story is, who is Pierre? Conservative ad blitz aims to reintroduce Polyev to voters. So, yeah, they have this uh, these ads that are coming out, and... Uh, I've watched a couple of them, and I think they're going to be effective, and this is particularly interesting at a time where you have Pierre Polyev and his wife and his kids together as a happy family at the time. It's coincidental, I'm sure, at the time that uh, Justin Trudeau and Sophie announced their separation. Would that be of an assist as well to Mr. Polyev? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. And we do know that national polling shows that the Liberal Party under Mr. Trudeau is suffering a continuing and significant decline in national support with the conservatives moving if you look at numbers only into majority government territory we're going to talk more about that tomorrow stephen ladrue is a good friend of mine we have been friends for many years i don't know if it dates back to when he was the president of the liberal party of canada but but he is one of my very very best friends and uh, he's a lawyer, and uh, has a tremendous presence on on YouTube with your channel. But I've forgotten your name. I've forgotten the name of your channel, Stephen. I'm sorry. It's okay, Roy.
3: Um, you're over sixty. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, it is the true 3 minute interview. It's uh, one is put out every morning at seven o'clock, uh, every business day. Uh, we've got over 800 of them out there now. It's um, and it is only three minutes. As one of my Friends, I said, use that word uh, loosely, says, I can sit down for in the morning, LeDru, and do my business and learn something. And <laughs> you know it's only going to be three minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. That's great. So the LeDrew three minute interview on, on YouTube, I wrote it down now, so because I'm I'm over sixty. I won't forget it in the next five minutes. You're over we sixty-two. Had,
3: uh, recently, we recently had the premier of Ontario on last week, the premier of Alberta on. Uh, we have we have ordinary people. I love just getting you, know, not big shot politicians, and definitely not quote experts, but people who drive trucks, who um, who work at projects, talking about Canada, talking about. Um, how they think Canada is getting along, and, uh, and yes, talking about politics, and sometimes talking about how silly the media is.
0: Okay, so if you keep on going, I'm going to send you an invoice. <laughs> good for you. So so you and I have known each other for many years. We used to do a, a show every Thursday morning with our good friend, uh, John Crispo, who is unfortunately sadly no longer with us. It was a tremendously successful program. So uh, let's go and have a look here at what well, your thoughts Uh, about these Conservative Party ads trying to soften the image of Pierre Polyev as a political veteran, as a former president of the Liberal Party of Canada with the current leader. He certainly has his problems. Uh, What do you think of the move by the Conservatives?
3: Well, first of all, I think it's about time the Conservative Party got smart. Uh, I think it's a great move. Some uh, wags say, well, it's in response to the Trudeau separation announcement. Baloney. Because these are expert ads. They were, and you and many of your listeners know, it takes a long time to put one of those things
2: together. They were done
3: well before the separation. So so that is just a coincidence. But I was worried about the Conservatives. I have many Conservatives on my show. I have spoken to them. I said, you guys got to get your act together or else you're going to lose it again. And we might have Trudeau for another term, which, in my view, would, would really destroy Canada. We are in bad shape. We aren't destroyed. Another four years of Trudeau and the NDP could destroy it. So I'm glad that those ads are out. I'm glad that they are uh, starting to show Polyev in, uh, in a new light, uh, as you pointed out, with his uh, with his family, with his wife. Uh, I'm glad he is softening up a little bit. It reminds me, and this will be only for your listeners who are over 60, Roy, of, of uh, Mulroney in 83. He had just become leader. No one knew him, and the liberals uh, heaped ridicule upon him. And uh, he and his wife, Mila, went down to Washington, and they met with President Reagan, who also the Trudeau liberals used to used to uh, laugh at, and uh, met with cabinet ministers. It was covered in the press. And after that, Canadians started to look at him and say, well, yeah, he could be prime minister yeah. and establish his bona fides. I think these ads are convincing Canadians that Polyev could be prime minister. I think that's good, because we certainly need a new one.
0: Yeah, by the way, you you mentioned the Alberta Premier, Daniel Smith. She's going to be starting my show tomorrow. Oh, she's and, great. Yeah, she is. I've known I've known uh, the premier for for many years because she was in this business. She was a colleague of mine on Chorus Radio, right. at, uh, in Calgary, of course. But she, so she's. I just want to mention to our listeners that we'll start the program tomorrow with Premier Smith, responding and reacting to Stephen Gilbo, the Environment Minister, who's now uh, I- issuing edict after edict after edict. The most recent one being that um, there'll be no fossil fuel interf- um, involvement with the creation of electricity by 2035, uh, which, which to me is totally inane. You can't you can't turn this bus around or this this massive ship around in 12 years. And sure, there are provinces, including Ontario, which don't use fossil fuels to create. Electricity, You know, they've got the nuclear right. plant, and plant and so on. Anyway, uh, so we'll talk to the Premier tomorrow. The Liberal Party today, uh, Stephen, they're sliding dramatically in the polls. The, the numbers do not look good for them. The Conservatives are in majority government territory. But the question is always, how will Ontario vote... And how will women vote, and women co- collectively, or by majority, seem to have not as much interest in Mr. Polyev as they do in Mr. Trudeau. So, uh, so let me ask you, first of all, as the former president of the Liberal Party of Canada, how do you see this party now? Well, this
3: party is no longer the Liberal Party of Canada. And that's just not my opinion. I speak to uh, many liberals, uh, older liberals, former liberals, as I put them, and they say, well, the party is just not our party anymore, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. It is the Justin party, it is uh, the party of his own personality we are dealing with personality politics here, and um, the, the party, as I said, you know in, in 10 years it won't be around um, I think that uh, he has he is really he does what he accuses others of doing he is polarizing Canada He's, I don't do that he accuses others of doing that. He accuses others of, of spreading hatred. But in fact, he does. He, uh, he has ruined the Liberal Party and its, uh, and its policies. And at the same time, as I said at the outset of your show, I think he has uh, really, really diminished Canada. Not only from an economic point of view, from its world standing, from the, for the benefits of most Ontarians. I live in a small community, and people are hurting. And what's Trudeau's answer? Well, we're just going to tax them more in 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 an attempt to bring out his old ideas and outdated ideas of fighting climate change. I mean, the man is truly a dinosaur and a bad example and a terrible prime minister of Canada. So that that says it, I think.
0: Yeah, you certainly said a mouthful. Um, (laughs) which you're you're very good at doing. Um, So final question for you. What do you expect to happen? We have the current reality of the deal between Mr. Singh and Mr. Trudeau, the liberals and the NDP – I pressed Mr. Singh on this in March, early March, I pressed him on it. Uh, this is the time to get out of this deal. Mr. Singh wasn't ready to commit to that. But what do you expect to happen with the deal in place? Do you think it's going to end before twenty-five? Will we have a federal election for 2025? And if we have an election next year, how do you expect it to turn out? What's your best guess?
3: Well, first of all, I think that, well, I know that I know from NDP, as I speak to, that they are thoroughly disgusted with Singh supporting this inefficient and silly and corrupt government. So he is under pressure all the time. Why, why on earth
2: would you continue
3: this? If he gets smart, he'll pull the plug and we'll have an election before 2025. Uh, But he hasn't been that smart yet, even though he's a smart man. Uh, So I'm not sure we're going to have an election earlier. We'll only have one if he pulls the plug. I am certain, though, that... Going into the next election, uh, Trudeau will be the leader. I say that because his ego is just so damn big. He could be scraping through the polls uh, you know, at the bottom of the polls, Roy, and he'll think that he can turn it around. And uh, I mean, and, and look at him—you know, he's done it three times before uh, going into elections and in not great shape. That he's turned it around. I'm just heartened by the fact that you pointed out that the Tories, I think, are in far better shape this time, mm-hmm. although when you refer to those polls, Roy, and the Tories far ahead, the Liberals, and Justin is an expert at pulling out victories and riding after riding with just a few polls, to, few votes to spare, while the Tories and the common parlance, they will waste votes. In other words, they'll have a, a majority of twenty or 30,000 votes in one riding. Okay. So they need to be ahead a lot more in the polls to win a majority government.
0: Yeah. LeDrew 3-Minute Interview, your YouTube channel. Have a look. I do. He hasn't invited me on his show yet.
3: <laughs> you know what? I want your listeners to know now, I was on with you for years, you know, 20 years ago, at CMHL. I've been on your show since then. Here at a chorus. And you and I have never met.
0: No, oh, it's terrible, isn't it?
3: And the, <laughs> all the people on my show... Hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, during, yeah. Even during COVID, they come into the show, into the studio, because you have to have that face-to-face in order. Well, to I class.
0: haven't. Re- I haven't refused. I haven't refused to come to your studio. Well,
3: you never ask anytime, me. Anytime, anytime you want to come to downtown Toronto, uh, I will be there. Although I think it may be distressing to people to see two t- 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 old bald guys going at it.
0: Yeah. Well, you look old. I don't.
3: Well, you know what? That's just because
0: you're a lucky guy. Kevin Brown is again the play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Orioles. He returned last night for a game between the Orioles and the Seattle Mariners. Now, during a game, if you don't know the background on this, during a game uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays last week, Brown repeated on air what was flashed on the screen about the Orioles' frustrations and series of losses against the Rays in previous years, they're doing well against them now. They're an exciting young team, and it was a totally benign statement that he made. He just—it was on the screen on the television screen, so he just referenced it, and then he was suspended by team officials, according to the Athletic, and most believe the team owner drove this. And you heard the Orioles fans at Camden Yards chanting "Free Kevin Brown." So Kevin Brown remained silent until yesterday when he released a statement about his wonderful relationship with the team, with the general manager and the owner. I don't know what the real story is. Here's a little bit of what Kevin Brown said, wrote. Unfortunately, recent media reports have mischaracterized my relationship with my adopted hometown Orioles. The fact is that I have a wonderful relationship with the organization and our ownership and front office has fully supported me since 2019 when I first came aboard, I asked that everyone disregard the distracting noise of the past few days. I've worked closely with, oh, Senior Vice President Greg Bader for the past four years and John Angelos. That's the owner. And I have a solid dialogue based on mutual respect. We're all good here in Birdland. Okay, I get it. He's got a great gig. He got yanked off the mic. There's no other way to put it. And then the management and the owner got embarrassed by the free Kevin Grant chance. It wasn't just in, in, in Baltimore. This was making news across the world of baseball. The commissioner, Major League Baseball commissioner, as usual, is, is totally inept. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we are where we are. So I, I thought I would ask my good friend and colleague, Greg Brady, host of Toronto Today on AM640, Global News Radio in Toronto. And for many years, a sports host and anchor for his thoughts. Kevin, I don't know how you approach this, but but I'd love to hear it.
1: Well, there's so many layers to it. And you're right. It, it is fascinating. And, and I, I do wonder if it is more fascinating for broadcasters than non-broadcasters. But But I would ask those that aren't broadcasters to say... You're a teacher. You work in healthcare. Like you, you, you. Everybody has a boss, and the Orioles are Kevin Brown's boss. So I look and I say, I, Roy, I kept watching that clip and waiting for the for the you know foot in the mud, waiting for stepping on the rake and it hitting him in the forehead, and it never came because, as you said, he was quite benign. He wasn't even listening off stat after stat after stat as to why the Orioles are so bad. There was, there was just none of it. It's, And I will say for Blue Jays fans listening, they remember also uh, an era where they were terrible playing in Tampa, whether Tampa was good or not. So I know that uh, I've had to talk about it on the air. The broadcasters on Sportsnet would have had to talk about it. And you put up a graphic, uh, Tropicana Field, House of Horrors, or something like that, and you don't give it a second thought. You're not rubbing it in, but you're explaining how frustrating it is that they have a really poor record there, and that was it. That's all I saw, and it sounds like that's what you saw as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. and those fans were amazing. <laughs> they, I mean, they were really into it, and they were letting Angelos know what what, what they thought. Free Kevin Brown, so he was freed. Are you surprised at the uh, at, at, at how Kevin Brown responded?
1: Yeah, I'm a little at that. I I didn't quite understand that because uh, for two reasons, Roy. One um why wait so long to to clarify your status and listen we all have to uh wait it out sometimes and and again uh you know again if you're if you're working somewhere you come in the lights go on there is a relationship so it's not like he can go uh go rogue um but i don't know what was said behind the scenes is it possible someone asked him about the comments and and he flipped out, if these were just about the on-air comments, and I'm not insinuating that it's anything more than that, and no one else has, but if in a hypothetical that's all it was, I think the team has to has to walk that back. And they, you're right, they heard from fans. Listen, th- th- everybody gets an association with their broadcaster. We've seen it even. Leafs fans with Bob Cole, I know what a massive Habs fan you are. Danny Gallivan, Dick Irvin. I know those are national broadcasts. But they felt like your guys calling Montreal Canadiens games on TV. So everybody has a relationship with a play-by-play broadcaster. But I was a bit surprised that like other broadcast networks, the Yankees network on Yes and the Red Sox on the New England Sports Network, they're referencing it the night after they found Elroy. They didn't wait. They, they jumped on this and said – this is a good guy, and he's doing his best work, and and this is wrong with the Orioles. Did that doesn't usually happen.
0: Yeah, was the commissioner silent all the way through this? I don't know.
1: Yeah, he was. That's a, and that I know what you're saying um, about the commissioner, but it is tricky. Is if he steps in on that particular scenario, if they decide to hire or fire another broadcaster. Um, and, and there's public outrage. Like, like I, I almost feel like that's either that's a matter between the Orioles and, and maybe Kevin Brown has an agent. Maybe he picks up a lawyer. If he never gets his job back, who's to say, for example, there was a lot of speculation this year that this was the last year on the mic for Joe Bowen and and Jim Ralph with Maple East radio games. Now it sounds like they're back, but if they weren't, um, you know, people would be disappointed by that. A. Sometimes you don't like change in the broadcast world, but you and I are well aware that change happened, um, whether we like it or not. And and I think people would say, well, you know, give them a bit of a retirement tour like Ernie Harwell would have got or Harry Carey would have got or Vin Scully would have got. So I don't know. You can't make everybody happy with broadcasters, but this just 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 leaped off the page, as you point out, to say, is this all someone did? Because that's a really. That's not much of a line to cross. If he even wandered up to the line, I'm not sure that he did.
0: Well, you know, I ask myself, where is the line? If that's the yeah. line, uh, it's it's impossible to work within that parameter. If you're not allowed to, re- to 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 repeat what's on the screen, which is totally benign and absolutely accurate, how do you do your job?
1: Totally, Roy. You nailed it. And and I've again, I've done a lot of games where I haven't been paid by the team, like NFL games and and uh, you know other games. But I would say this: I worked for the Saginaw Spirit and the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL. You've got your team there in uh, in Hamilton, uh, Brantford now. And I did have a GM tell me once in my second year of doing the games, I was I was thirty years old. and He said, "I think you were a little hard on our players last night." And he did. You and I have been there. Someone brings you in to uh, quote play you some tape, and he played it, and I'm like. I think you're right about this. I think you're right about that. This one, I think, is okay. So those kind of critique sessions are going to happen. Um, and I think his point was also these are 16-, 17-year-old players. I do think there is that little bit of – it's like when you go to a sporting event. I don't think we go to our kids' um, you know, high school volleyball game and start booing the other team. I don't think we do that. And we know there's sometimes bad behavior with people yelling at umpires and yelling at hockey referees. But, but we'd like to think that 19 out of 20 of us are going to be able to, to know the line, uh, and, and that, that's but that's not what this was. This is not. You're not talking about amateur athletes. You're not talking about oh, it's the last straw. You've been so critical of the team. You're questioning their heart. You're questioning their commitment. I didn't hear any of that. These these were stats that weren't very flattering to the ball club.
0: Exactly, and they were correct. So, Greg, I wouldn't have said anything about this story on this program had it not been for the free Kevin Brown chance <laughs> at Camden Yards. I listened to that and went on and on and on. The fans really got into it, and they did free Kevin Brown. It got me thinking now, and you mentioned this um, a little bit. Does the broadcaster... Maybe I shouldn't go here. Maybe I should just walk away. <laughs> maybe I just walk away while my, while my head's still on my shoulders. Does the on-air broadcaster really matter? or are for uh, listeners and viewers? Are, are the stories and the statistics in more interesting, maybe only interesting? and the person who delivers it, not so much. And I'm not going to speak for you, and I hope people kind of like me a little bit, but it's a question that I, I need to ask. Does the, does the broadcaster, and I'll ask our callers in a couple of minutes, what do you think? Does the, Let me put you on the hot seat. Does the on-air broadcaster matter?
1: Well, I think it does. I, I'm sure that it does. And being one, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd feel compelled to say that, but I would say There's oftentimes, look, Roy, you and I, uh, the AFC Championship game, I'm not a big Tony Romo person, um, but I'm going to watch the game. Whether I love Tony Romo or whether I'd rather hear, you know, uh, Charles Davis or whether I'd rather hear Chris Collinsworth, I'm going to watch the game, but my enjoyment will be slightly lessened as a result. So they do matter. um, But, yeah, in a perfect world, everybody's got their favorites you can't please and i've realized that not just with sports but with what we do roy exactly i I know i've done a good three and a half hour morning show if someone says you're too soft on the liberals you're too soft on the conservatives if i've got an equal amount of both i I think i'm going home reasonably sure i did a good job or a really terrible job it could be that too i haven't decided yet
0: you always do a great job and i'm not Uh, buttering uh, you up i'm not blowing smoke i'll listen to your show i enjoy it
1: uh, awesome thanks roy
0: So the federal government has revealed that a new alleged China-backed misinformation campaign is underway against Toronto-area conservative member of parliament, Michael Chong. Also news this week that our guest of three weeks ago, Anna Kwok, the youngest Hong Kong activist on whom Hong Kong authorities have placed a $1 million bounty, found out her parents had been visited by Hong Kong police. Um, Ms. Kwok, as I completely understand uh, politely declined doing an interview this week. She's concerned about her family. And then I had that uh, call last night, and uh, you know, display was mainland China, and uh, so I answered, and I had an 18 second sounded like robocall message in Chinese, and I have no idea what the message was. Kenny Chu joins us, former British Columbia Conservative Member of Parliament. Mr. Chu has been with us many times. And uh, Mr. Chu was subjected to a disinformation campaign by Beijing during the 21 election campaign, federal election. Kenny, thank you for coming back.
4: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me,
0: Roy. What do you make of this uh, situation with Michael Chong?
4: Well, there, in terms of uh, foreign interference, there are usually, or in general, uh, two ways of, of conducting their operations. One, one is direct, and that is to spread uh, disinformation and uh, using disguised threats um, for people to directly vote against somebody or for somebody. Uh, in this case, I think it's the second category, and that is to use um, the smear um, personality or characterization of somebody, in this case, uh, Michael Chong, in, in achieving certain political goals that they want. Because um, the, the rapid response mechanism that Global Affairs published, published indicated that um, they started monitoring uh, when it gets close to the three by-elections that happen in, in Canada, And, uh, you know, Michael Chong is not running in any one of these uh, three by-elections. However, there are sizable, um, you know, people that uh, perhaps the Chinese communists think or thought that they could be uh, hurting or or influencing by continually uh, smearing and uh, spreading disinformation about Michael Chong. Because Michael uh, is one of the shadow cabinet ministers of uh, the um, Conservative Party of Canada. Mm-hmm. And so by spreading this information and, and using his name, smearing it, uh, perhaps they will be able to achieve some political goals in these yeah. three writings. That's what I suspect it
0: happened. Okay. We have less time with you today because we had the uh, interview from, from Maui and the destruction, that fire. Mm-hmm. So we have about a minute here. Um, are you surprised, disappointed, disappointed, uh, that there's still nothing nothing announced officially about a public inquiry
4: oh oh yes absolutely I mean if you look at look back at you know what we've gone through since last year uh, the government has sidestepped every every step of the way whenever they can when they push the corner they start throwing things and promises and all that today we still do not have a foreign interference Registry Today, we still have not had a commitment of a public inquiry getting to the bottom of how how wide and how deep before an interference. So, yes, I am disappointed.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend.